the United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9-9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. There are some figures in sport who transcend the term athlete and instead become legends. One such is the East German figure skater Katarina Witt, who won two Olympic gold medals, first at Sarajevo in 1984, aged 19, and her second four years later at Calgary. She became a four-time world champion, taking the title in 1984, 85, 87 and 88, and silver twice in 82 and 86, and in addition won six consecutive European championships between 1983 and 1988, making her one of the most successful figure skaters of all time. However, as my next guest, Annette Tim, will argue, she's equally well known for the myths and legends of her private and political life as well. Annette is a professor of history at the University of Calgary in Canada. Katerina Witt was a very beautiful woman, but she really did work hard for her success. Uh, She was an excellent figure skater. I think people forget this partly because her last victory in Calgary, her program was not as technically difficult as Debbie Thomas, who won. Debbie Thomas flubbed various things. Um, But up until that point, her programs had always been the most technically difficult on the ice. She started skating at age five did her first triple jump at age 11 after having moved to a, an East German sports school for kids. She, she started very, very early and was extremely well trained and was a, a very convinced supporter of the regime all her life. And when you say she started early, she trained seven hours a day, six days a week. Yes. She, she must have started early every morning. Uh, y- yes, she's in her autobiography. She talks about her mother getting her up, going off to the ice. It, but it, she also is, makes a very convincing case that it was from her. She begged her parents to let her skate. She wanted to do this. Was it the case that being a champion in East Germany would only take her so far, that she she really needed to find a bigger stage, a global stage? Well, yes. I mean, she made a deal uh, with the party leadership before Calgary that if she won a second gold medal, she would be allowed to go to Holiday on Ice, which which was really the first time an East German athlete was allowed to receive money from the West. So, sure, I mean, that victory was not just another gold medal. That that was her ticket to stay in East German, which she always wanted to. She had no interest in defecting, as far as we can tell, but make money uh, in the West, most of which the SED, the Communist Party, kept. But that's astonishing, isn't it, to be, to be cutting deals with the political leadership so that you can take part in an ice show. It's amazing and a great idea, really. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is really what she wanted to do. She, she was a performer. She wanted to continue performing on the world stage. So if she hadn't been able to do that, she would have become a coach or something. She would have gone back to East Germany. Her options were to cut the deal or defect. She had a reasonable amount of profile by that point. She had some power. 
when you say profile, I mean, she, she certainly did have profile because she was extraordinarily good-looking and she played to her strengths. Absolutely, and that was not just her. That, that was calculated on the part of her coach. They carefully thought about costumes. Her coach was allowed to go to West Berlin to buy the fabrics and the feathers and the sequins, and in fact, they talked about that. We have to do more. We need more feathers. We need more sequins. We, we have to keep up with the glitz of the Americans. We have to compete with the Americans and the Canadians in terms of looks. So she was physically, is physically attractive, but it was, there was a conscious effort to highlight her best features. She did run into uh, trouble sometimes, didn't she? She maybe went a little too far in some cases. Yes, there is one case where she had what we now call a costume failure. <laughs> and um, in the European Championships in, in Hungary in 88, so just before the, the Winter Olympics in Calgary, she wore a, a, a dress for the short program that was considered to be cut far too highly up on her hips. And that same costume for Calgary was modified with an extra few feathers to sort of cover it up. And after that, the Katarina rule was instituted that skaters had to have their posteriors covered. So she's some kind of Lady Gaga or Madonna of the ice skating world. She was certainly pushing those boundaries, and very consciously so. And it was part of a whole program on, on the part of the East Germans to highlight those things. But it's a funny world, isn't it, uh, I mean, figure skating? Because it, it, it is part show business, part athleticism. I think this is still today true. I think she, she also very consciously worked on the presentation of her program, that, that, it, w- that it was supposed to be fluid and more like a dancer. Um, she was, by the time she won in, in Calgary, older than many of the other skaters, less the pixie, you know, more the woman. But those two things are inseparable in, in, in skating, the artistry and, and the athletic performance. So I don't think that's it, that she did this in any particularly unusual way. She just was very consciously projecting her femininity in a way that some of the other skaters weren't. And how was that received? Because how is a beautiful ice princess, if you like, I know we'll come to that, Mm -hmm. she challenged those perceptions, Mm -hmm. but how is this beautiful, athletic, fantastically successful ice skater received by the writers of the world's press? Oh, they... They were effusive about her. They 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 talked about her as, as the the greatest weapon of uh, of her regime, right? And 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 not a very good enemy of capitalism because she was too beautiful. Uh, and uh, I I think it was a bit overblown, frankly. I I think she's attractive, but on one level, I think she got that attention as an East German skater. She very consciously played on that. She knew, and the sports officials knew, that the image of East German athletes had been dominated by swimmers who who we now know were taking steroids and things. And she was asked once, for instance, had she ever been given steroids? This was after after the fall of the wall. And she said, well, if, if I did, they clearly had the opposite effect on me. <laughs> She's good, isn't she? Yeah, no. I mean, she she knew she absolutely knew what that was about, and it and and they were and and it was conscious. Uh, in Calgary, uh, the SED was selling pictures of her to Time magazine and 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 German news magazines. They knew what they were selling, and they were they were literally earning profits from her. She felt no shame about this, as any North American or or other European skaters wouldn't have. They all attempted to somehow cash in on their on their fame later. So 
the main difference was that she kept her allegiance to, to East Germany until its demise. One final point on this, no doubt, middle-aged male writers writing about this beautiful woman skating in front of them, athletic body yeah. uh, barely covered. Yeah. Time magazine called her the most beautiful face of socialism. Well, that won't have hurt the, the public profile, will it? Yes, and I, I confess that I looked hard for the precise origin of, of that term. I couldn't find it in Time magazine. I, I suspect it is in there somewhere. I think the thing is it was constantly repeated. The press, just every press outlet, used that phrase to describe her. So it really made her this symbol that represented her state and somehow contrasted with the grayness of East Germany. So that was obviously something that, that the media eats up. Good point, because, I mean, contrast for me what life was like back in East Germany. I mean, it's a, a state full of trabants, isn't it, at that time? Sure, and, and it was grey, and there really was literally no paint on the walls, and, and the clothing was, was hard to come by. She talks about when she was just a teenager going to Vienna and needing to borrow a jacket from from her friend, an, a, another a figure skater, Annette Plutsch, and how important it was for her to feel that she had proper clothes that, that was actually attractive when she went uh, to the West because of the impression that East Germans don't have anything nice to wear and don't have any glitzy, pretty clothing. It's a bit Cinderella-esque in places, this story, isn't it? Yeah, and actually I think she, she saw herself a little bit that way, I think. Uh, I mean, she was fairly, on one level, still naive. She was naive about uh, some of the crimes of the regime that were being committed but she really did believe the story that, and told it very often that if she had lived in the West, her parents would never have been able to afford to send her to be a skater and that everybody in the East at least, okay, maybe it's not as glitzy and pretty, but, she, but it, everybody has equality. Everyone can do what they want. Everyone can achieve what they want to achieve. What about the Stasi? That's where the questions remain a little unanswered, don't they? When the wall came down and she was immediately vilified for not rejecting uh, the GDR, she went to look at her Stasi file, which she details in her autobiography in 1992. And, and there were 3,000 pages, 27 binders. Um, the, the Stasi started reporting on her when she was eight years old. So it's very clear that she was slated from an early age to be an elite athlete, and they wanted to know everything about her life, they reported on it in great detail. When she started traveling abroad, every time she came back, there were long discussions with the Stasi. So she had a close and almost personal relationship with her Stasi agents, but this is not in any way unusual. Her, their main concern was that she not defect, especially as she got old enough that she could have done that, and 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 famous enough in the st in, in in the West. So. There was no reason for her to be a spy. She was the target that they were concerned about, that she would leave. She gave them everything they wanted, and they gave her some perks, but not massive perks, really. She got a Volkswagen Golf. She got a Lada first, and then a Volkswagen Golf. She got uh, cheap rent in a, in a little house outside Berlin in an apartment that was furnished for her. Compared to what she could have earned in the West, th th this was a very small reward, I would argue. The main reward that she got was to, tr to be able to leave and to travel, and she didn't want to give that up, but also had no apparent inclination to defect to the West. So in that sense, it was a cozy relationship with the Stasi, 
And she certainly was a beneficiary of the regime, which is why some, only some of her Stasi file in those cases where she's benefiting is released publicly. The rest of it is private. There's no indication that she spied on anyone else. And had she defected at the height of her popularity, how big a deal would that have been? It would have been a massive deal for the SED, for, for, for the communist regime. She was, in the West, the most b beloved and famous athlete of the country. She was the glamour girl of the GDR. She was the, she's really the only GDR sports superstar in an international sense. So that would have been a massive black mark. She wasn't as loved by the time uh, she uh, won her second gold medal. She wasn't as loved by the population in the GDR. They, they, there were resentments against her that she could travel, that she was this glamour girl. How could she be allowed to go to Holiday on Ice? and perform and be this professional person in the West. Uh, so it's, in it's interesting to think what would have happened. This is 88, the wall came down in 89. What would have happened to her popularity had it kept going? So she, she was booed off the stage when she introduced Brian Adams uh, at a concert in East Berlin. She had met him in Canada and the people in the audience were, were resentful that she'd had that ability. So I think that her popularity would have suffered in the years after that. It would have been difficult for her to, it would have been more and more difficult for the regime to say she's just like us, she's just one of us. And I think that that became pretty clear in 88 when, when she was booed off the stage at the Brian Adams concert. Her post-sports career can be summed up, I think, with, with one word, glamour. It's an amazing, amazing uh, life, isn't it? I mean, from novels to Holiday on Ice to posing nude in Playboy and only the second sellout edition, the first being Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I mean, she's an absolute icon. Yeah, and I mean, you could see it that way. I think that she has gone from one thing to the other. She didn't make one career. She's made a career of being famous, basically. So she's on every, she's on many, many talk shows still in Germany. She, she led the effort to get the Munich Olympics. Whenever you need the glamour girl, you know, she's willing to, she's willing to do these kinds of things, TV shows, stars on ice kind of, kind of things. I think she's made a career and it's, and it's perfectly fine, but she hasn't done what some of what some other skaters have been able to do, become a, a commentator, have one career of prominence. She has made, yes, she's, she's done it through glamour and, and her willingness to play that up. She, she likes that. She likes the attention. It's very clear if you Google image search her, you know, how she projects herself. Absolutely. And she did set out, she is on record as saying that she wanted to, to change the stereotype of the cute, pretty ice princess that's so commonly associated with ice skaters. Yeah, she wanted to look sexy. There's no question about that. I think that, that it's a little sometimes misleading, uh, our, our view of what she wanted to project from a Western perspective, because she saw herself coming from this GDR tradition is very natural about her body, uh, sort of a long tradition coming out of Weimar, Germany, of natural nudity. Her Playboy layout is not like any of the others, and in fact, the photographer only did that shoot, did nothing, has done nothing else for Playboy, has only other, uh, otherwise done pictures of celebrities in sort of glamorous poses, and that layout in Playboy 
looks exactly like um, nude pictures from the Weimar Republic. It doesn't. She's not a sex kitten writhing on the bed, you know, and and that's not what she was trying to project. So, as much as there's a lot of cleavage <laughs> in most pictures of her. She sees this and believes it to be a very natural projection of who she is as a, as a sexual, alluring woman, not so much a sort of writhing on the bed kind of look. She was an extremely, extremely amazing athlete and just didn't try to hide her natural attributes as she was doing it. Because her record is astonishing. I mean, it, it, yes. tell me where not only where she ranks in the history of Cold War sport, but in the history of all-time sport. There's one medal she could win in figure skating, and she won it twice. So compare her to swimmers or other things who've won many more, but they have many more events to compete in. But if you look at the time period for which she was at the very top of her game, I think that's uh, it, it's fairly astounding. So. It's interesting that some of the things, the research that I read about her actually made the case that, oh, well, she won these medals on her sex appeal, uh, which I think was, I think, an astounding um, diminution of her athletic achievement and quite fascinating if we think about the history of how women in sport are portrayed, that if you're sexy, suddenly your, your athletic achievement is, doesn't really mean quite as much, does it? You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt, and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal. You can find out more about this project at 